0: battle of the nerds today guys as the marlins head to tampa for a two game series starting tonight but is the increased usage of analytics translating to success on the field we dig into that and much much more in today's episode of
1: locked on marlins you are locked on marlins your daily podcast on the miami marlins part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: Hello and welcome to Locked On Marlins. I am your host, Peter Pratt. And joining me
1: today, Joe, smoking Joe Frasaro is in the house. Joe, how are we doing? Peter, it is an absolute pleasure to be on your your show. Love the intro, by the way. Love the studio. And I I just love the the YouTube aspect, I guess.
0: Well, Joe, thanks so much for for the compliments. This Mm -hmm. is a new venture, no doubt, on the YouTube vibe. And there you go, guys. You've been following. You can get this pod anywhere, any podcast platform. But now, as Joe was teased out, get it on YouTube too. We're available on YouTube. Get yourselves over and subscribed to the brand new Locked On Marlins YouTube channel. Every episode is going to be dropping in there too. So if you like it YouTube style, get it in there. Also, of course, if you're on, if you're on Twitter and you like engaging on Twitter, get me on Twitter as well at Miami Marlins underscore UK. Joe, we've got a ton to get into here. It's pre-game uh, in advance of Game One with these with the two-game series with the Rays. I'm really looking forward to this series. Um, there's there's a lot going on. It feels right now with with both teams. But before we kind of dig into this series itself, what's your general vibe in terms of where the Marlins are at right now, quarter of the way into this uh, this 22 season?
1: You know, they're they're kind of tracking kind of like I thought they would, where they could hang close. Um, The offense is kind of looking for an identity. We're seeing Jorge Soler kind of become a little bit of of the power, you know, source and force that they thought he can be. That's encouraging. Still some, you know, issues with Garcia, a little bit of underperforming so so far. Offensively, they're, they're scoring runs. They're getting kind of to the threshold I think they could be at where they can score enough to be considered a serious playoff contender. And the pitching's top 10, which is where we expected them. And and their starters, I think, are like fifth or sixth in, in ERA in baseball, something like that. So they're doing what they want. The bullpens actually has been, been quite good. I know there's some ninth innings issues. But mm-hmm. if you look at overall performance of bullpen and bullpen ERA, their bullpen's good enough uh, that, that they're kind of where I like them. Where I'm a little concerned right now is, as blessed as they were health-wise in April, in May, it's starting to catch up. I'm a little concerned about Jazz's hamstring, you know, coming at a time when Joey Wendell's down and, and John Birdie. Um, as well, you know, we should be getting those guys back hopefully soon. But Jazz's hamstring, I don't know what that's going to lead to, but tight hamstrings on guys that rely on speed is is not good. So little unconcerned about health.
0: Me too. I was thinking the same earlier, you know, like you said, in April, early May, no health problems. Then all of a sudden, lazardo goes to the IL. That's been the kind of start of it, really. Then Wendell, a bit of a COVID outbreak, too. Now Jazz's hamstring, you know, we're starting to starting to get into the depth guys right now. And But it seems like maybe they're getting lucky with a few guys coming back. But nevertheless, though, Joe, if, if, if Jazz Chisholm is down for two, three weeks, you know, that is going to be a major, major blow for this Marlins team, right?
1: Yeah, and the thing with hamstrings, Peter, is especially a speed guy. And Jazz, as we know, when you watch Jazz play, he plays at 100 miles an hour you know he he doesn't play at 60 70 miles an hour he's not in the speed limit he's well above the speed limit and and you you can't take that away from him and if he's not playing there he's not jazz so you run the risk of really setting him back so, again, we'll, we'll see, you know, they call it the tight hamstrings. Tight hamstrings are never good. Maybe it's more of a cramp. That's what I'm kind of hoping, that, you know, get some hydration in there, a day or two of rest. But if it is something prolonged, uh, that's obviously going to affect the team. It could be cushioned if Joey comes back, you know, because even a Wendell isn't necessarily the speed, you know, merchant. And and Birdie is, of course. But, uh you get that consistent lefty hitter who could hit at the top of your order much like Jazz has been doing gets on base great situational hitter and and a proven guy and so if 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 that's how it goes all teams are dealing with injury and guys that go on and off but you don't like to lose three or four that are same type of player at the same time feel like being without all your power guys at the same time you know yeah. you could you could withstand being without one or two of them if as long as you have two or three left uh, so I, I think that's, if Jazz again is down, we're going to need Brian Anderson to step up and he has been, uh, and, and the other guys in that lineup to lengthen the lineup and, and do their part to pick up the slack.
0: For sure. The, the interesting thing as well, when Jazz went out the game, Joe Dunand came into the game. Um, he was kind of recalled just before on, on Sunday. It wasn't in the starting lineup, but got out there in, I think the third inning it was, uh, was asked to play second base. By all accounts, Joe Dunand had never played second base ever before and yeah. <laughs> he second base got a couple of big outs as well uh towards the back end of the game as well so you know the depth is going to be tested we look back to 2021 the depth really wasn't there there was a Joe remember the, you know the, the guys yes. being brought in you know just they just weren't major league players basically just weren't they weren't yeah. up to the standard. this year though it feels a little bit different where if they do dip into a there's a few hitters down there that actually you feel more confident in that could actually I guess contribute in some sort of way. I mean, Eric Gonzalez has been he's been playing every day for what, 10 days? I think. So
1: yeah. And he's been fine, you know, and but the thing about them, Peter, and they call it, you hear the term a lot, overexposed. And the reason why bench players are bench players, the more they play, the more you can find the holes in their in their game. But I, I do like kind of the confidence and just the way, you know, the looseness that Gonzalez plays with. He's very good in the field. So he's making the routine plays and occasional hits. You know, he's already helped win a game or two, you know, with with a, you know, infield in to run single. Hey, you know what? He puts the bat in the ball. Not the hardest hit ball, but you know, you didn't strike out there, you get a nice little hit. Uh those type of guys obviously you need you need depth. I this game is long ago Peter gone from being a core sport where and that's where it's kind of always the the trick when people talk about the 2017 Marlins, oh, they had a great core. Well, they didn't have depth. So you can have five or six, seven of the best players in baseball, but eventually something happens to one or two of them, or maybe one has an up the year, down the year. And if you have no depth behind them, look at look the Dodgers. Why the Dodgers are so good is they just, they could lose Kershaw for a month and it doesn't matter. They could lose, you know, they're, if you could lose your best player for a month and it doesn't matter, you know, you're a world series contender. You know what I mean? That's how I kind of look okay. at it. You, you know, and so the Marlins, they're not going to replace Jazz with, Joe Dunan, but if Joe Dunan is contributing, you know, you know, just do, holding his own for a while, you know, just making routine plays coming up with a big hit every now and then, and then some other guys get high. I think this is a, uh, you know, we're, we're talking hypothetically, but if jazz is down, I think it's a big opportunity time for Jesus Sanchez who has kind of in the, in the, the slump part of it, you know, Sanchi came up with the raise. He's going to the trap for a couple of days. If he could get going, then you're, you're like, okay, you could withstand if you know he gets hot for a couple of weeks. That's generally how successful playoff teams do it. It's almost like you pass the baton. Hey, I ran three miles or whatever. I'm a little tired. Now you take it, and you got to keep running at that same pace. So as long as – you know, still Jazz has been a little bit of a slump, which is natural. But Jazz, as we know, one swing, he draws a walk, he steals second, goes to third in an error. And, a, you know, a short fly ball, he scores and it's a sacrifice fly. You know, he could, mm-hmm. even if he's not smoking hot at the plate, he impacts the game so much with all else he can do. So get, get Sanchi going. I think they could kind of pick up the slack over a couple of week period if that's what they're asked to do.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about Jesus Sanchez because it's been really, I mean, he started the year absolutely on fire. Him and Jazz just setting the league alight, And then he's just cooled off significantly. And it looked like he needed a bit of a mental break, but then he kind of, you know, came in. I think De La Cruz took one to the arm, had to come out of the game, and then Jesus took over. And it felt like just had a little bit of a reset, a day or two off, straight back in. Like I said, back to the trop. Uh, he'll want to do well against the Rays too. So that's going to be really interesting, that storyline. Uh, you know, we obviously won't get Wendell back there because he's going to be, I think, rehabbing. Rehabbing. Uh, this. it sounds like, yeah. Uh, sounds
1: and like... the only thing with Elise for for... Game one against Shane McClanahan. It's, I don't. That might be a good game for her, Sanchi not to start yeah. because uh, McClanahan's about as tough on anyone, but especially lefties. And I don't know. Have you seen him pitch much, Peter? Not Shane much. Of, uh, he's top notch. Uh, he he's is, he's, top-notch, he's right? your. He's your word. He's stud. And he's <laughs> a. You know. He's South. He went to University of South Florida, which is in Tampa. So he's a Florida kid with a nasty, nasty slider to go with a hundred mile an hour fastball and, and a changeup, like he makes hitters, you know, how when Lizardo is on and he gets guys swinging at balls and in, in the dirt or in the other batter's box, you know, McClanahan does that too. And so he's a really hard matchup for, he's one of the best. And, and, you know, uh, I always enjoy watching him play, but that's a, if the Marlins could somehow take one from him and a start for him, that would be huge, you know, big road win against a true ace. Um, but again, yeah, they just gotta find a way. I thought I thought Sandy yesterday or or Sunday really was a huge, you know, to give the Marlins the nine innings because sometimes that alone that's you know for that's like the equivalent of a three home run game by a hitter, the way it could spark an offense., uh, what Sandy did sparks rotations because it, it now you're bullpen at a day off. you know you really you got back on track, your ace did. what are you supposed to do? So these are the fun parts of baseball I like to see. I like to see how teams respond. I like to see how players respond you know we, we throw the word ace around a lot and and guys have to aces do what Sandy did yesterday you know on Sunday yeah that's what aces do and and so I look to see who has it in them you know and, and I like to see when they're struggling. Who steps up or how a player gets out of it. And, and the Marlins now, what they're in 40-something games already. So, you know, they're getting to, and they always say like Memorial Day, which is coming up here, is, is always kind of an early barometer. You that's kind of like the first major mile marker on that you define a team. You kind of become who you are about Memorial Day. And then you got another month or so to decide how far in it are you leading up to the, the all-star break and then the trade deadline. I really believe as, as rough as it appeared and as frustrated as Marlon fans get, I, I posted it on my Twitter account yesterday, the standings of, of of the wild card. You know, the with that, those 12 teams are big, you know, it, it's big that X six teams each league. And they even if they seem three, four, whatever they are under five hundred, they're right in striking distance of that wild card. Now yep. seven other teams are there too, but they're there. <laughs> You know, so it's it's for the taking, and 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 the highs and lows are natural, and you know, so uh, it, it should be fun. It should be fun.
0: No doubt about it. I want to get into the game one pitching matchup very shortly because it is absolutely mouthwatering. Uh, before we do that, guys, reminder: this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs. Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. And Joe, where this series is starting is Pablo Lopez going up against Shane McClanahan. We've already talked about McClanahan; he has been sensational. Pablo Lopez going for the fish. This is an absolute elite pitching matchup. Pablo has been pitching out of his mind it is, I mean, his last start was his, probably his toughest one, obviously. So he's going to look to bounce back, but yeah. Pablo Lopez, what a 2022 for him thus far. The other thing I wanted to ask you about too, the, the Marlins ended up going to arbitration with Pablo last week. Um, and Pablo was seeking three mil, the Marlins 2.45. They ended up settling a 2.45. So, um, what I'm wondering is how can that affect the player, where they have that kind of negotiation piece early on? Do, will it will it play on Pablo's mind? Anything like
1: that? Well, yes, you know I've been covering this sport pretty much embedded for 20 years. The arbitration process in the, the hearings are a pre-season um, off-season you know, part, uh, part of negotiating tool that you go to your arbitration hearing, usually late January, sometimes they push it to early February. You might miss a day or two of spring training because of the, the lockout and all that went with it, they're doing the hearings in the middle of, or the first 40 or so games of the regular season. So normally whatever bitter taste you had was in the off season. It's, so this is uncharted for me. I I, I can only speak for what I, my perception is. Yes, but Pablo is a professional, and um, you know when you when there's a, a the salaries are exchanged and nothing was agreed on. The the only choices are a high number or a low number or you reach a multi-year deal. And the fact that they didn't reach the multi-year deal it put it in the hands of the cases. And I believe the only reason why Pablo would lose a case is volume of work, meaning it's not a reflection on his talent or his ability on his highs. It's the fact that he he's had injury issues, mostly in second halves, that probably you know is the reason why he didn't get the, the salary he wanted to. Um, clearly, when Pablo Lopez is healthy, he is a top-notch pitcher in Major League Baseball, and the 1.57 ERA in 46 innings and 48 Ks is testament. His whip is 0.91, so he's averaging less than one batter reaching base per inning. And so how does Pablo handle it? Probably the way Pablo handles everything with class, with professionalism. And, and to be honest with you, I hope he's got a little bit of an edge and says, yeah, okay. Well, maybe I'm not making that extra 600,000 now, but guess what? The, the price tag's going up because Pablo's getting better. That's that's what I want to say. That kind of the... The 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 Pablo, the angry Pablo, you know, that that kind of does that and says, My payday will come. But normally any type of resentment on the at the end of the day too, though 2.4 million or whatever still is pretty good payday. It's
0: like you know, it's you like,
1: you know he could still take the family out to you know, have a nice dinner and, and celebrate, knowing the money he's exactly making uh this season. So again, um, I always root for the player in that one, you know, to, to see unless it's just a really ridiculous ask. Uh, but what's not to like about Pablo if he's healthy? And he's, he's going to give the Rays a lot of fits because that changeup is super elite, and his ability to, to to manipulate the baseball and and miss bats and miss barrels. And and I was telling you before we hit the live button, I think the Rays, as much as I like the Rays, I think they're a little vulnerable right now. They, they just went to Baltimore. They had never lost to Like they always beat the, the Orioles. And then they're like blowing leads in the ninth inning and losing in extra innings. And the Orioles are beating them at home in walk-off fashion. And the, and the Rays rely very heavily, as you know, on bullpenning when that doesn't always work. And even offensively, they're they're earlier in the year. They were in that top five or six in runs scored. Now they're kind of creeping back to where the Marlins are. So their offense isn't as prolific. Still a dangerous team and a, and a battle-tested team. I'm not selling them short by any stretch. But they they have a lot of motiva- motivation because they don't want the Yankees to get too big of a lead. I think it's five games or so. Um, and the Marlins need to make a statement that we're going to hang around. And what better way to hang around than a road trip at Tampa Bay, and then and then go to Atlanta? Uh, but again, yeah, we we talked about McClanahan. I think he's like 46 Ks and 30 something innings, and so he's well. His K per nine is way up there. Pablo's is, is if Pablo can get that weak contact, get that that changeup going, get a lot of a lot of ground balls. Um, yeah, it, it should be fun. Yeah, that's that's what you know. Great pitching matchups are what you look for because that may, really brings the strategy into play.
0: It does. And, and that's an interesting part. The Marlins this year, I think, have lent a lot more heavily towards the analytics side of, of the game. Obviously the Rays have been doing that for some time out of, of seemingly, I think, the Masters yeah. at it. What impact do you think it's made to the Marlins this year in terms of you know their approach, their decision making, the the platoons, etc.?
1: I, I think it's kind of hot and cold. I think it I think they kind of haven't yet found their identity with it. You know, it started off with Jazz hitting ninth in the justifications. And I've had talks with them. I pretty much anything I say on air or right, I pretty much have talked to them. If I'm a little critical of a move, I'll I'll let them know. I say, I don't like it. I don't and they're like, Well, the analytics say, and I'm like, it's Jazz. It's like he's he doesn't hit ninth. He hits leadoff or, or in the top. Uh, yeah. so that but their logic was sound. Veteran players, um, you know, have a longer track record, jazz a little bit of spotty. Um and, and so they're, you know, they went that way and they got off to the slow start. Um, their pitching wise, I think it's worked out fine. You know, I think they could use a little bit tighter plan with Elie Iser, you know, maybe get to more of him as an opener, three or four innings. Now, I know he went five innings or whatever the other day, gave the home run. But when does Elie Iser really get in trouble? It's about that fourth, fifth inning. That's when I keep the keep a closer eye. This is where the Rays master it. They they are so tied into their matchups. They're like, and maybe they do a batter's face thing. Maybe they just say, hey, after 18 batters, he's out of the game. Um, you know, which you know could be three and two thirds if you get everybody out. Uh, you know, it's like, it's their system is more in gear. The Marlins have very good analytics people. Don't get me wrong. They, you know, I just think that. Integrating it and then finding how to make it work the best way um, is what they're going to do. I applaud them for doing it because they were so far behind the times. I remember there was a time when the the Astros, when the Astros were going to the World Series. Well, they go a lot, but like in Stanton and Yelich were still here, and having Source over there with the Astros, they for two or three game series in Miami, they had forty six pages of analytics on the Marlins. And I asked a Marlin player and one of the relievers at the time goes, "Oh, we had our usual pregame meeting about how to approach their hitters. You know, it's like in the the, the, the matchup life. didn't go. It was they were just the game planning, the preparation aspect was completely different. They were mm-hmm. they were on completely different stratospheres. And meanwhile, you had a lineup with Yelich, Ozuna, Stanton, uh, you know, that could match up with anyone, but they had a much more sophisticated plan of attack." while the Marlins had a more old-school throw a fastball to a curb. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to it. And I know Mel, Mel Salmaier Jr., he is very, he's kind of the perfect blend to me because, you know, his his dad was a great pitcher and a great pitching coach. And, you know, he came up and had his brother pitch in the big leagues. And, you know, and, and Mel has the foundation of old-school baseball, Mm -hmm. Coupled and he he married them very closely together analytics and how to miss bats and, and really focus on swings and, you know, how a guy swing looks and and all these ways of manipulating the baseball to miss barrels. And, and, you know, he he integrates that so well. So it's still a work in progress, but they're definitely on the right track in analytics.
0: Feels it, you know, it, it. it felt, it felt a little bit, know there were some talking points coming up because of the use particularly of you know a guy like jazz and it kind of got the the fan base throwing some questions out there but listen the rays have shown the way of just in terms of how it can be deployed and utilized and how successful you can be you know when you you use that you know the the data the analytics to, to to get the right guys in the right spots at the right times And I think the Marlins will get there with it. It's just a work in progress for sure. So Can
1: I add one more thing, Peter, before we get off analytics, because I wanted to kind of make this point. Um, And a lot's made, I I tend to a lot of times, and I, I, you know, people know before I went independent and took my early retirement a few years ago, I had like 18, 20 years with, with MLB.com. And, was there at the launch of StatCast in 2015 and really pay attention to that hard hit in the, and pitching analytics that really focus on, that measures the tools of the player. You know, so I pay a lot of attention to hard contact and, and things. But I also, whenever we, we try to overcomplicate it, I think a lot of people trying to search for answers, kind of look at analytics, I think they sometimes misread them. And on those moments, Peter, I, I kind of try to simplify it. So that's why, you know, yes, we can look at run differential, but that could be a little misleading too, especially early in the year. But these numbers kind of speak loudly, and I sometimes it to the most basic of things. And this is a Jack McKeon philosophy. Who scores first? And I'll just run this to you. The Marlins, when the opponent scores first, the Marlins are 5-17. and 17. When the Marlins score first, they're 13 and 13-5. And in the homestand, they finish 4-5. and five they were 2 and 0 in the games they scored first and 2 and 5 in games the opponent scored first and why is that important you know look at it this way okay if you have an early one run deficit and you both play even the rest of the game let's say you give up one run the first and both you and your opponent give up score three the rest of the way guess what you have a one run 4-3 loss so i'm i'm not so caught up with the the six and 12 record in one run losses, because you can be down five and then score four and lose five to four and say, oh my gosh, if we only hit a two run homer at the end, we would have won six to five. You don't want to be behind. It's, it's like soccer, right? What's I'm sure those numbers, the team in soccer that scores the first goal probably has a lot better percentage. And this isn't just Marlin's numbers. I'm telling you, you could probably look at pretty much most teams, These records will reflect there. So just as we we dive into real sophisticated numbers, and I I'm fine going into the weeds on stuff, but Mm -hmm. don't lose sight of the simple stuff. So you know I encourage your your listeners too to pay attention to that and let's see how how true that holds. You know when the Marlins score first or their opponent scores first. You know because yes, you want the ability to come back, but you don't have to rely on it all the time.
0: No, for sure. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, like you said, in, in, in soccer, like you you score first, your percentage of winning drastically higher, uh, I guess, for those games. So makes a lot of sense. We want to talk about game two shortly too because the Marlins actually have got TBD on the mound right now. So we're <laughs> going to get into that very shortly. Uh, but, guys, reminder, this episode is also brought to you by, this is one of my favourite, Athletic Greens. I've been taking these Athletic Greens now for a good few weeks. Um you know, I was looking at it for, I was just feeling jaded, feeling tired. I needed more energy, mainly because I'm watching games late at night. I'm doing five podcasts a week. I need more energy. So athletic greens, I've been using it a good couple of weeks. It tastes great, super healthy. And it's kind of like a, how would I describe it? Like a kind of tropical green flavor. Uh, if you can kind of picture that, what is it? So that's the main question. What are these athletic greens? It's one scoop a day you put one scoop in 350 mils of water and it's 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole foods source superfoods you name it it's in there athletic greens ag1 so if you want to go and check it out get yourself over to athleticgreens.com ag1 is the stuff it is 75 high-quality vitamins. Highly recommended. I'm feeling energetic. I'm recording three podcasts tonight. So that's how energetic I am today. So, you know, get yourselves over there. Go and check that out. Uh, it's been it's been working for me. Could work for you too. All right, Joe. So I wanted to dig into this uh, Game 2 matchup. At the moment, TBD is on the mound for, for the Marlins. I think that is very, very intriguing because by the normal rotation, Sandy went Sunday, an absolute vintage performance from Sandy Pablo going tonight on Tuesday, third start in the rotation. Normally Trevor Rogers, right? So yep. what's going on with Trevor? Are they pushing him
1: back? Are they going to maybe go with an opener? Where do you see this one going in game two? Yeah, that seems to be the indication, you know, that, you know, with, with Trevor, um, you know, he's, he's not been as sharp and, you know, and so they, they might see something a little out of whack, a little out of sorts that they, um, you know, just kind of push him to Atlanta, uh, over the weekend but it is it is curious that they would do that you know with with trevor because normally you know maybe he's feeling a little arm arm fatigue um i I will say this too because uh, uh, these these pitchers keep in mind it was a three basically a three-week spring training instead of a six-week and normally over that there would they call it a dead arm period where where pitchers you know, they basically nothing physical. It's just a fatigue thing that they kind of, you know, work themselves through. So a lot of pitchers this year are, are in uncharted waters, and I'm sure uh, it'd be interesting to see what they, what the Marlins, what Donnie says about their plan because every pitcher's different. You know, you, you, their bodies respond differently. Their, um, their mechanics are different, and you know, and Trevor's had 36 innings with 34 strikeouts, and we never in the 5.20 ERA. In through eight starts so he's not the trevor that you know we saw last year especially early um and and even in spring i was a little concerned i know the slider is a pitch he's worked on I'm not concerned about his health so much it was just the ball out of his hand and it's just maybe my eye of covering the game forever and then, and then being reinforced by some scouts the pitches didn't don't didn't have the life that they did last year when he looked like a real elite left-hander uh that there's 96 but there's 96 with movement and late life and and just uh you know just getting on the hitters you could just see it; the ball just wasn't coming out of his hand as crisply now that doesn't mean that he's hurt you know it just means there could be something slightly off It, it could mean you know um you know, bodies mature differently. Uh, you know, maybe he was a little heavier or lighter or whatever. Because guys' arm angles change. There, there's a lot of stuff involved. And and for the Marlins to feel that if it's a mechanical tweet, then you put your trust in Mel and company that they will they will work to get him there. Because really, whether he pitches Wednesday or he pitches Friday, what's important is is we don't get Three innings, four innings. Start. What was he done? Four innings starts against Atlanta. Um, his last three starts: four innings, five and a third, five. We need Trevor going deeper. You know, no doubt. You know, he's a potential top of the rotation candidate. They got to go six innings more. You know, be in that range. So whatever it takes to get Trevor there, you deal with another day of figuring it out, or another two days. That's the ultimate goal.
0: I'm I'm finding this one very puzzling because his record—he's—he's he's only just pitched against the Braves. His record against the Braves, too, even before uh, the the most recent start, has not been good. And so to then push him back into <laughs> another start against the Braves at
1: Atlanta, no doubt, at, at Atlanta <laughs> <Yeah>. as
0: well. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I I'm just—I don't know. It, I was kind of. Thinking about this, what Trevor, this this season, one kind of, I guess, constant with him for me, the first inning, he's really struggled to get going in that first inning. It's been really high pitch counts over and over and over again. Some of the, the games he's gone on the pitch well. Others he's
1: got blown up in. It's really been kind of up and down for him. I don't know. You did a classic Peter Pratt tweet the next day or maybe that night when you said a couple of Braves, you know, a couple of Marlins were hit by pitches. <laughs> and there where's the outrage? And I kind of always look for an opportunity because it's more of a little jab at the their fan base to, no to weigh in. But if you look, this is this is real. This is where what you mentioned has validity. What has been the biggest fear by the Marlins when they play the Braves? Who's the first batter for Atlanta? I know. So where where everyone watches the first pitch because the first pitch if it goes up and in everyone loses their mind if it goes up and in and hits them then the then the pitcher should be thrown out of baseball Don Mattingly's the worst manager ever and and there's suspensions and fines and and comments coming from the other dugout about these guys like I can't pitch inside don't even try okay if you go back and look at how Trevor pitched. This is the first game of a big series at home last weekend. He threw that first pitch to Acuna way outside ball one, and I and I went and I looked at. Let me see if I can almost find it. I don't know how if it'll translate onto um, here onto the video, but I don't know if people can see this. Ah, eh, it's not coming in. Is it coming in at all? No. But anyway, Obviously. there's like five or six pitches. I did the, the little map, the little heat map of the pitch yeah. to, to Acuna. He, he saw six pitches. The The one closest was three pitches right down the fat part of the plate, three pitches outside the strike zone. And what did Acuna do in that at bat? He doubled the left. The Braves scored three runs in the first inning of the first game of the series. And the Braves were on their way. The, t- the tone was set that day. Yep. And now we're asking Trevor to go to Truist Park. First batter you'll see is Acuna. Is he going to attack or is he going to be, I don't want any part of an, of an Acuna mess. And so that's my little, well, I wish you guys would have seen that that graphic, but it was like, here, throw it in meatball territory or <laughs> throw it in a territory where you can attack the hitter you know, and, and get him out or have your best way of getting him out rather than, you know, a, a more passive approach. So I, in that regard, I do agree with you. I, and yes, uh, there also was an extra day because of the off day to do it mechanically. So it'd be interesting to see what the Marlins explanation is. But mm-hmm. I am I am kind of in agreement. You know, I think I gave my assessment. Of, I think why they did it without you know hearing directly from them. But I do kind of agree that they could have probably fixed him go against the Rays because he gives you your best chance. Let's put it this way to me, even a 70% or 75% Trevor Rogers probably is a better matchup than a full bullpen game at Tropicana field against a very dangerous Tampa Bay Rays team.
0: Yeah. Just uh, one final topic before we round up here, Joe, and we're going to go back to Sunday's game. Uh, Sandy, was he went into the ninth he looked like listen I'm having this game bullpen stay seated obviously <laughs> Aguilar dropped the easiest <laughs> yeah the, the you know whenever error on Aggie uh the, the Braves started to get a rally going as they do and they can do what we interesting part though Anthony Bass started to warm up with the pen Anthony Bass has been sensational in the seventh eighth innings this year not really being uh tried in the ninth They've tried everyone but Anthony Bass, but looks like the Marlins were actually, if they needed him, were going to go with a save opportunity with Anthony Bass again in the ninth. Uh, it's been a really puzzling year in the ninth inning. It doesn't hasn't kind of worked out, but do you see a realistic opportunity now where Bass maybe steps into that role again, the role you're supposed to take in 2021?
1: That's definitely a maybe. I would think also, just to say otherwise, potentially the matchup because there already was an out or so in the inning uh, maybe just usage of you know benders going earlier so it seems more and more like it's salser's job uh maybe salser also was down you know and maybe it pitched a little bit i'd have to go back and, and, and double check there uh but but it is curious i do think you know that bass he's he's saved games there's no doubt um that you know why not you know you got you got to you you can't constantly have the same look if that pitcher is not getting the job done consistently. So I think a lot of it's mixing and matching. Uh, to the the Aguilar play, though, it's like the frustrating thing was he just tried to showboat with the – he didn't just catch it. He had to catch it and grab it. And I know they're big leaguers, and it's real routine, and, and Aguilar does so much good. Um, but what my takeaway from that was, Peter, and I, and I did tweet about it and the way I phrased it was – and it's not just ace, but a lot of really good players, they pick each other up. You know, yes, no one felt worse than Aggie. You know, he he knows he messed up. Uh, Obviously, he cost a pitcher 10 or so more pitches. He cost him some runs. They all end up being unearned. But he created a stressful ninth that didn't have to be there. Uh, But that's what good players do. That's what good teammates, that's what aces do. You know, if a guy strikes out at a big moment, the guy behind him gets that two-out hit now picks up the player because the player wanted to get the job that that's the team aspect of it. Um, But yeah, the Anthony Bass thing again, why not? You know uh, you, you go with the hot hand. If you don't have a true, a uh, closer and they don't, you go with the hot hand
0: really intrigued to see the way the marlins go with this one because it was not good with anthony bass in the ninth at all last year <laughs> any, other, any other inning, uh, it was fine this has been the funny thing it shows that you know those ninth inning outs are the toughest i believe they truly are the toughest it becomes a mental game and i'm really intrigued to see i know anthony bass will want to to be that man i know he'll want to be that guy and deliver for the marlins and the fans for sure but you know experience is telling us that it hasn't worked out. <laughs> Is that what you're saying,
1: Peter? <laughs> I'm a little bit
0: I'm skeptical, but at the end of the day, they've tried everyone else thus far, and they still haven't quite landed on a guy. What I did like a few weeks back, though, and I said this on this pod, uh, Cole Salsa uh, blew a game, and he was straight out and faced the media straight after. Yeah. And I love that from Cole Salsa, the fact that he was happy to come out and say, pitch location, it was on me, game was on me, I blew it. I'm looking to be better next time, and I was like, okay, the kind of leadership role, kind of a bit like how Kinsler was in 2020, where Kintz yeah. wouldn't shirk, and I, I like that from Salsa. So that was a little glimmer I, I saw, and I thought, okay, this guy, I think, could be the right guy for the spot. I'm intrigued to see if they actually go and make a move in the in the in the trade. Um, you know, Kim gets the phone going and gets a trade going as we kind of get into maybe you know into yeah, July June.
1: yeah, June. All bets are off. You start the and I feel they they know it. They know what they, they need. And they knew it when they, they put their, their resource, and I know it's just a topic that's out there. They put their resources in the Solaire at the end, and by the time that he signed, they didn't really – it's not even so much you didn't have some, the money to go sign someone else. It wasn't a priority Upgrading the offense was. And yeah. really, you had to kind of assess the market for closer or, or high leverage late inning, and it, it wasn't there. They did address it as the best they could with the trade, which brought in Sulcer, but they know they knew from day one that by if they did their part and hung around, and the opportunity presented, they all trade for a closer slash late-aiding person. So that's why these are these are crucial. Uh, but yeah, they know they know that they this isn't ideal. Donnie he keeps saying the same thing when he talks about it, we're going to mix a match and whatever, but that's all he can say. But it doesn't, you know, these every single one of those pitchers in the bullpen wants to roll. Yeah, they don't sure want to I'm, be, they don't want to be, Oh, I'm up in the six today. Oh, I'm up in the seventh today. Oh, I got the ninth tomorrow. I get, they don't want that. And and it's usually, it's very, this sport is amazingly creatures of habit and routine. And, and it seems easy that hey, just go pitch the eighth today. What's the big deal. It's just a big deal. You know, that's what, it, it becomes a big deal because you I know, see. you know, when the phone's going to ring, it's for you, not, it was me, you, you. Who's gone? Who's gone? Okay, now I'm ready. You know, it's like it just. It for whatever reason. It, I guess, part of it. We go look at it this way. We're talking the best of the best in the world, so the margin for error is so thin. Mm-hmm. They're they're gearing up. They're they're looking at you. They're looking to see who's coming in. They got all their data on how you go. So that line is very thin. And if your guy isn't super sharp that day, you lose. That's just kind of the way it is. So whatever edge you put where you put the advantage for your guys over their guys, you do. And if it's something as simple as saying, you know, Bass has got the ninth, good or bad. You know, Solskjaer's got the ninth, good or bad. That would bring so much more, you know, mentally, okay, I know at least know. I at least know. And then you got to follow it up with consistency. Yeah. They can't just yank them after one bad. Then there's one, then everyone's looking over their shoulder. And and if that happens, Peter, I trust you, it'll be a bad year. It'll be a bad year because then you that's when it snowballs the other way. Because no one's trusted. No everyone's pitching tight. They oh my God, if I walk this guy, I'm not I'm gonna get sent down or be demoted. So that's the danger of the mix and match philosophy.
0: Agreed. One guy that I, I think needs to be back and needs to kind of get back to form as Richard Blyer. I think he had a slow start last year and then he really was just elite for the majority of 2021. He's had a similar uh, start uh, year thus far, obviously had a, a an issue with COVID, etc. He's working his way back. I'd love to see Blyer come in, just kind of, he's a, he's an older guy in, the, in that bullpen and just add a little bit of consistency in there. And like you said, Joe, I think when we look back to 2020, when they had that great run, the bull, uh, it didn't matter who, what the matchups were. It didn't the 7th yep. and 8th and ninth, we knew it. It was scripted every time. And yeah. the, Box the guys knew it. and then the Kintzler, yeah. yeah. Yimmy, Box, Yimmy. Kins, yeah, those three, bang, bang, bang. The guys knew it, 7th inning, well, unless Sandy was going, there yeah. wouldn't be a 7th <laughs> inning requirement. <laughs> exactly. But due to your point, though, it just adds the guys know they can prepare themselves mentally, physically, to be ready for that spot because they know it's gonna be them that's getting the call. So I think that that really would really add does. value. So yeah, yep, I'm with you. All right, Joe, we're bang out of time. Uh for those that aren't watching this show on YouTube and maybe they aren't, they may be listening, remind
1: everyone where they can get you on Twitter if they're not following you already, which I'd be shocked <laughs> yeah. if they weren't. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Peter, and appreciate it. You can see, Peter, is my name, the, the at Joe for Saro, uh, account or at ManOn2ND, and, um, and my podcast also run on the uh, Five Reasons Sports YouTube channel as well as my at ManOn2ND, and I appreciate you having me and uh great podcast, always catching up. You're the most passionate one out there and and keep it going, Peter, and and all the best to you, my friend.
0: Absolutely. Listen, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Locked on Marlins. Uh, For everyone out there wondering about, well, Locked on Marlins, first listen of the day, what can I listen to next? Second listen, (laughs) Locked on MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and a unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked on MLB, on Audacity app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. And that is myself, Peter Pratt, and the legend, the GOAT, Joe Fasaro, signing out for Lockdown Marlins. On Tuesday, Pablo Lopez taking on Shane McClanahan in an absolute stunning matchup in Tampa. Game one, hopefully the Fish can put some runs on the board. Run support for Pablo, and I think the Marlins take this game one. We'll be back tomorrow to digest everything that happened in game one and preview game two.